Okay, good evening everyone. Well, it's evening here. Uh, this is my fourth uh, audio blog. Today I'd like to continue my discussion on the eternal purposes of God. This will be my third, uh, third installment, third attempt at uh, explaining some of the eternal purposes of God that are uh, teased out of Scripture uh, that occur from the beginning to the end in different uh, shades and shapes. Uh, the previous four that I talked about were uh, introduced to me by Frank Viola, and before that time I knew nothing and had never heard of the eternal purposes of God. Instead, the things that were talked about, things that, uh, for example, that we are the temple of God, was viewed more as a metaphor. You are the temple uh, of God, therefore take care of your body. And it was more of a self-help uh, kind of a focus as opposed to uh, a revelation that God is doing something in the world that is bigger than us. And so the, the previous four eternal purposes of God that I talked about were, uh, this is the order that I talked about them, I'm sure it's not the order that uh, they were given to me first, but uh, the order I talked about, the order uh, that I talked about them was uh, the Bride of Christ, the Temple of God, the Family of God, and the body of Christ. Uh, and these are the four eternal purposes. Well, this last spring, I was, uh, I decided to pay a little bit more attention to my garden, the area around my house. I live in Japan, uh, which is quite a green country. We have a uh, high amount of uh, yearly rainfall, uh, but we have four seasons, much like much of the United States uh, and Europe. Um, and so this spring I decided to uh, plant some vegetables and flowers and really try to get control of my garden a little better. And I had, for me, tremendous success, at least in the early parts of uh, uh, the growing season. Uh, I planted some 20 kinds of vegetables, I had a couple of fruit trees, I decided to plant grapes this year, so I have three living. I planted four. One, one grapevine I, I managed to kill, uh, but I have three others that are growing and hopefully they will produce grapes within a couple of years. And as we were, as I was going through this farming process, I'm very, on a very small scale, obviously, uh, but as I, I was going through this process of gardening and farming and, and husbandry, I guess, uh, all of which I'm not good at, I noticed that the idea of garden could possibly be another uh, eternal purpose. That the theme continues to pop up. Sorry, I just got a phone call from my lovely wife. Uh, so where was I? So as I was gardening, I started to really have kind of a spiritual experience and and I think it 
it was strongest in the early mornings just as the sun was peeking over the hill and shining on the garden when the, when the actual the rays of the sun when I could see the sun and as, as stated in Micah uh, I believe that Jesus the risen from the grave son S-O-N is referred to as the risen S-U-N son he, he, he is likened unto it or we are supposed to understand in some way a part of Jesus by the the rising of the sun every day that we can understand something about Jesus by the rising of the sun in other words uh, we were given the sun and the way that it acts to to teach us something about Jesus so uh, I thought that was very interesting and I, and I, I, I hope that I didn't delve into sun worship uh, but on every morning when I was up early at the rising of the sun to do a little work in my garden weed, weeding and whatnot uh, I would pray as the the rays of the sun crested the hill and hit my face and I would pray to uh, to Jesus at that moment and as I would have this experience on obviously sunny mornings uh, sunny not Sunday on sunny mornings I began to wonder if yeah maybe garden is not a uh, a legitimate theme, a legitimate uh, candidate for one of the eternal purposes of God. One of the things that God might be doing in the world has to do with the garden and gardening. And so I, yeah, the more I looked into it, the more I, the more evidence I, I found of this. And I contacted Frank Viola uh, via email. And I was, uh, um, he talked to me briefly, not much, but he put me on to his staff, uh, connected me to uh, members of, of his staff, I guess, who answer a lot of the emails. He gets a lot of, uh, a lot of traffic uh, on the email circuit, shall we say. And so he answered in the affirmative that yes, indeed, he thought that the idea of garden uh, is part of the eternal purpose of God. Now, I don't know if it's a sub subset of one of the others. For example, is it a subset of temple? That's very possible. Uh, because, of course, we have man's, man's journey begins in a, in a garden. <laughs> in a jardin. Uh, in a garden. And, and in some ways, the temple is presented as a garden. Many of the motifs of the artwork in the temple were of plants, pomegranates, palm leaves, things like this. Uh, and so something about the temple was supposed to evoke uh, the theme of garden. This could be because uh, that's where God's presence initially dwelt on the earth was in the garden. Uh, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. Uh, and then later on, well in fact it hasn't happened yet, it's so later on that in Revelation when the temple 
or rather the city of God, uh, comes down, there are some natural uh, references uh, in in these two chapters, the two final chapters of Revelation as well, uh, 21 to 22, I think, uh, about a river that runs through a garden and things like this. And so it would seem that man began in a garden and will end in some kind of a garden, something that resembles or has some aspects or characteristics of uh, the natural landscape. Um, and again, this is not something I have studied in any kind of way, uh, scholarly or even lightly. It's more of uh, a hunch at this point. And of course, we can find numerous uh, spiritual references to vegetation, for example. Um, they would, you know, Christians are called to bear fruit. And uh, you know a tree by its fruit. A bad tree does not produce bad, uh, good fruit. And a good tree does not produce bad fruit. There's also Jesus talking about, I am the vine and you are the branches. This is also a, a uh, it has to do with cultivating, cultivating uh, grapes, grapevines. Uh, and so this theme, again, seems to be all the way from, from start to end, from the alpha to the omega many more references to trees. Um, as I thought about garden as a possible um, theme, it occurred to me that tree could very well also be a theme, uh, especially the tree of life. Um, of course, the garden had many trees, many fruit trees, but it had two special trees. One was the tree of good and evil, from which... Uh, man was not to eat, and one was the tree of life. And there's an inter interesting reference uh, in the beginning chapters of Genesis where man has sinned, he has eaten of the uh, forbidden fruit, and and now God is is having counsel with himself. Uh, God is having counsel with himself, and he says, uh, you know, kind of, whoa, you know, we better watch out, because now, now that man has eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he understands sin and shame, if he were to eat of the tree of life, he would live forever. Therefore, we better separate them. And so, man was separated, was expelled from the garden, because uh, God did not want him to be in close proximity to the tree of life, lest he eat of it and live forever, and live forever with sin. Uh, very, you know, again, heavy, cryptic, uh, interesting reference that uh, I'm sure there are a million 
and one opinions about. Uh, but it's interesting nonetheless. Uh, and then all the references to fig trees. Jesus uh, comes up to a fig tree. He's hungry. He sees that it has green leaves, but it has no fruit. Uh, he then curses the tree and says, may you never, may, may no one ever eat from you again or something like this. And then the next day they were walking by the same tree and it had died, withered, dried up completely, noticeably dead uh, from the curse of uh, Jesus. Uh, and this idea of bearing fruit, that we are, we are trees and we are fruit trees, and fruit trees must be cultivated to bear good fruit. They don't, they don't bear good fruit without a little help, which is interesting. Um, I know this because the trees in my garden, I have a plum tree right in the center, right in the center. Uh, it's about, I don't know, 10 years old, maybe nine years old. And it has produced, I want to say, a total, a total of maybe, in those nine years, it's maybe produced a total of, let's say, less than 20 plums. Less than. This last year was the best year ever, and I think I got exactly 12. Uh, and I picked them, and very happy to have them and they were indeed delicious. This next year uh, I hope to be able to do some some pruning. I'm learning how to prune. Again, pruning another reference that's all throughout the Bible, a way to uh, improve the uh, production of a tree, the uh, harvest. or uh, Yeah, so uh, learning to prune is very difficult. Uh, you, you need to prune trees both to get fruit and to get flowers of course uh, fruit comes from the flowers you have to get the flowers to get the fruit but there's obviously I, I get a lot of flowers on my tree but I don't get a lot of fruit so something uh, you know there is a discipline there 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 is a wisdom and a knowledge that I have not acquired that I would like to and so and, and I think one of the best reasons for us learning to grow things uh, to be close to the earth is to learn about this eternal purpose of God that he has that can be found in husbandry, husbandry and farming, husbandry, I guess, husbandry and farming and, and uh, taking care of vines and pulling weeds uh, and pruning uh, and even, even eating of the produce and sharing of the produce. And even fruit that, if it's there too long, if it's not eaten, it rots. Uh, and there's just there's just a lot, a, a wealth of knowledge there to be learned and understood and converted to spiritual wisdom. The imprint of God is on his creation. And... Yes, perhaps less and less. Maybe this world is just getting sicker and sicker and, and it is going farther and farther away from its creator. But nonetheless, uh, his imprint and truth and wisdom and knowledge about him is to be found in his creation. And I think this goes, goes 
far, wide, and deep. Uh, uh, broad, 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 deep, and wide. I don't even know how to say those three things. Uh, perhaps high, high, deep, and wide, let's say. Um, and applies to every part of nature, whether it's uh, the stars, planets, whether it's on the uh, microcellular level, the ways that uh, cells interact and, and multiply uh, and move uh, all the way down to the tiniest particles, uh, atoms and quarks, and even smaller than that. Uh, in the DNA, right? And, and then everything in between. So you have the macro and the micro. Uh, macro science that deals with kind of uh, what's going on in the universe from a cosmological level. Uh, and then micro science, you know, microbiology and, and genetics and uh, uh, particle physics. All, all of these disciplines are uncovering evidence of the maker of the universe. Uh, science and God are not at odds. They are not at odds. Scientists might be, especially uh, less than truthful scientists, but then again, so are, so are Christians who are less than truthful. They are at odds with God as well. Uh, a, you know, just because someone t calls themselves a Christian does not mean that they are automatically closer to God than, than, than an atheist scientist. You know, we, we all are on a journey uh, in life. As C.S. Lewis talks about, we're on a continuum, and we are either on our way toward life and truth, Jesus, or we are on our way away from that and heading toward death and falsehood uh, and, and hell, Satan. We're all on that continuum. And maybe it's less important how close you are to which pole than it is which direction you're, direction you're heading on that continuum. Um, I know I kind of went on a tangent here. Uh, but I think, I do think that there is something to be learned about the eternal purposes of God uh, through gardening. Uh, and I encourage anybody who has a chance to, you know, even if it's you know, planting a pot and raising some herbs or, or uh, you know, a terrarium or, or any way that you want to uh, observe the life. Um, you know, there, there are some practical things as well. You know, of course, the, the world that Jesus lived in, in, in first, first century Palestine, was a agricultural society, much more than most of us live in today, much more so. Uh, and everybody would have understood more about agri agriculture then than we do today, I suppose. Uh, and I think they probably would have looked at 
uh, natural things closer to gain wisdom, to understanding that there is wisdom there, that there's design there, and that design uh, can teach us a lot about our world and about who we are in the, in the, in the universe. Um, uh, above and beyond revelation and, and uh, for example, uh, scripture or prophecy. There are all kinds of ways for us to find the, uh, the fingerprints of God in the world. Uh, they exist everywhere, on every corner of the planet, on every corner of Mars, on every corner of this galaxy and, and the universe. And even if there are multiverses, which kinds of, kind of seems silly as as the uh, universe kind of means everything there is. But anyway... Um, so, yeah, that's an eternal purpose. And I hinted on the idea of a tree as, as a possible another subset of eternal purposes. And I would like to hear uh, from you. Are, are there other themes that go throughout the Bible besides the, uh, you know, five and a half or six things that I have mentioned? Are there other themes uh, that you would like to um, let me know about that, that maybe uh, we could study together about? I would be very interested to hear about that and to know about that. And I would, I would guess that there are other uh, eternal purposes. Um, now, what do you do with these, this information? You know, once you have an idea that God has these eternal purposes that uh, are new to you, what, what do, you, what, what is that? What effect is that supposed to have on you? Now that you have that knowledge, and assuming that you are, you, you believe that what I have presented uh, has some truth in it. Uh, what do you do with that knowledge? How does that change? How does that change you? How does how does that how does that change your theology? Uh, for me. Changing from the standpoint of, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, and and Jesus is going to take me to heaven, and and you know Jesus died for me, he died for my sins. Uh, none of these things are wrong, right? They're just incomplete, and for me. Redemption, even though it's one of those things that's completely necessary for us. I mean, for for us to, to not for, for redemption to not have happened, it would be a uh, you know game over without redemption. We're 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 jacked up. We're we're lost. You know, we are uh, up a creek without a paddle. And of course, redemption really is everything to us. But redemption may not be everything to God. It just might so happen that redemption and the story of of uh, Jesus's redeeming work through the through the cross and his resurrection uh, that all might be part of an eternal purpose, a means to achieve an eternal purpose that God has conceived for himself. Uh, if that's the case, 
uh, I think I think we need to we need to pay attention to it. We need to allow it that truth and the recognition that that truth exists. We need to allow that to have its effect on us, to change us. And uh, I've I, I suppose I've known about the eternal purposes at least the first four that I presented for the last five years, six years possibly. I have to figure out when I read um, Frank Viola's book, From Eternity to Here. Uh, I want to say it was maybe 2009 or 2010. Uh, but it, it rocked my world. The idea that, wow, God is, God is at work doing something that has been hidden from my eyes all this time. And I considered myself pretty well read in the scriptures. You know, I, I considered myself a, a student of Scripture. I had, I had always read the Bible and had a working knowledge, I thought, of what it meant. You know, I, I thought I knew all there was to know. There's a, a book by Dr. Seuss, which is was introduced to me by my wife, uh, who uh, was introduced to this book by a, an art teacher. She was studying interior design at the time and trying to inspire creativity in her students. And she had them all uh, read this book on, on Beyond Zebra. Uh, and basically, it's the idea that uh, this kid, uh, he's decided that he knows everything there is to know because he knows the alphabet. And he knows all the words that fit in the alphabet. From A to Z, he knows one word for every letter, maybe several, and you know, that's not the point of the book. But basically, he says that if if you know all the all the words and how they fit with the alphabet, uh, then you know everything there is to be known. But another another boy who was a little older came up and said, "Well, you know, what if my alphabet has more letters? You know, what if there are more letters? What if what if there are ideas beyond zebra that you don't know about?" And of course, here it's talking about imagination, not discovering, uh, not discovering hidden truths in the universe. Uh, but I still think it's a, you know, it's it's a great, uh, it's a great theme. You know, you you may look at the Bible and think because you have read it from Genesis to Revelation that you know everything there is to be known. Uh, but anyone who is a sincere an open student of the Bible will tell you that there are uncountable hidden treasures throughout Scripture. Uh, there, there is more to uncover there than anyone will ever do in a lifetime. Maybe in Ten consecutive lifetimes, maybe a hundred or a thousand consecutive lifetimes, you could study the scriptures and still be surprised by what you find, depending on the Holy Spirit's work in your heart at the time uh, and where you are in, in circumstances. And, uh, it is a an ever-flowing fountain of new water and living water. Um, so I hope 
just by tweaking your interest uh, with these uh, things that were hidden from me and probably are hidden from most of you, uh, I hope it, it will encourage you to, to dig deeper as you read the Word and to, to discover uh, to discover whatever it is that the Lord would have you discover. And, you know, I've, I've wondered that many of these things weren't uncovered from the past giants of the faith. You know, that they didn't understand the things we understand now. And, you know, that talks about, that, that's also talked about in the Bible where uh, I believe Jesus tells his disciples that the prophets of old longed to see what the disciples were seeing, but they did not get to. And so the disciples were, Jesus was saying that they are privileged to see what they are seeing, that, that people foresaw for, for the time that they, had, they were living in there with Jesus and longed to see the things that they were seeing, but they did not get to see it. And I think, I think that a previous uh, church father since those, uh, since the first century, uh, people like um, uh, Thomas Aquinas, and, uh, uh, Augustine, uh, even Martin Luther, John Calvin, uh, I think these people were revealed they received a revelation of the truth that they needed for their time and that this truth that we are being uh, given that is being revealed in our time is is um, it's being unfolded and unveiled in the plan that God has and I, I've often wondered if this has to do with the opening of the seven seals in Revelation if, if each seal wasn't a new era of unlocked and, and newly discovered truth and revelation. Uh, and that, you know, maybe when we look back, we might even be able to count the times when these massive breakthroughs were, were made uh, and steps were taken in accordance with the truths found within. Uh, and I think, um, I think there are several things that are happening right now. I think the the emphasis of authentic Christian community now over uh, membership of a, an established institutional uh, church or an established uh, religious organization or denomination. I think we are now in a time that we are we are looking at that less and more trying to to be in uh, authentic um, communities, authentic body of uh, the authentic body of Christ, um, more of a um, yeah, just looking for authenticity in our spiritual life uh, as opposed to membership of a organization that's run by professionals. And, as a dogma, uh, tradition, and history. Um, that that very well could perhaps be one of them. This 
revelation of the internal purposes of God could be one as well. Uh, there could be a lot of things. And yet I'm rambling. But uh, yeah, just to wrap up this, these three lessons on eternal purposes of God, I, I would love to hear that there are more that, that we can discover more because I believe each one that we discover will uh, teach us a new dimension by which we can view the single eternal purpose of God that all of these things are pointing to. Uh, kind of like a triangulation. We, we set these up and look at the direction that they all point and we will discover uh, the essential eternal purpose of God. And, and, uh, and there you have it. Um, I pray that uh, God continue to reveal His truth to us, that we be open and, and ready and prepared to receive it and that we have the boldness uh, to do with it what he asks us to do. Have a good week. Bye-bye.